the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. So we're talking about the way in this passage the way things are done in God's eyes, the way they should be done, the way they are done under His realm of influence, right? The kingdom of God. The way it is, is it's like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, makes no difference because the seed sprouts and it grows. But he does not understand how it happens. He don't have to understand how it happens you don't have to understand why an apple seed turns into an apple tree. You just know it does. How many of you are just worried, sick, oh, is the sun going to come up in the morning? <laughs> no. See, that's how faithful God is. The things He's set in motion, man, we are to be thankful for the little things that He's set in motion that we can know is always going to happen. And this farmer knows right here and now that if he plants this seed, what's going to happen? He ain't got to worry about it. He don't understand how it happens. The earth, in verse 28, produces the crops on its own. First, a leaf blade pushes through. Then the heads of the wheat are formed. And finally, the grain ripens. So it just pokes up. And over a little time, it grows tall, doesn't it? And ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle. For the harvest time has come. Do you know what would be foolish? Is if the farmer didn't throw out any seed. He wouldn't be a good farmer, would he? He didn't put, a far, he didn't put any seed out this year, but come fall time, he's looking to see if there's corn out in his field. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? To expect a harvest when you've thrown out no seed. <laughs> Waiting on a ship to come in, but he ain't sent one out. <laughs> People say that I'm, I'm waiting on my ship to come in. But they ain't paid no passage, no board. They, they ain't sent a ship out. I'm just going to hit the lottery, you know. That's the way a lot of people live today. They're planting no seed, but they're expecting some kind of miraculous harvest. But it don't really work that way very often, does it? Another foolish thing would be for the farmer to grow impatient and worry about the seed like we talked about. Man, I don't know if it's growing. Go out there with a shovel and dig up his seed to check on it. <laughs> Get ahead of himself and not wait to the harvest. That would be foolish. Another thing would be foolish for the farmer to plant the seed, water the seed, weed the seed, keep care over the seed day and night, watch it grow to a full maturity, and then say, man, I wish I had some of that. And never harvest the seed. Do you know there's people like that? They do all the work, but they never harvest their seed. Do you ever send the minister and angels to go forth and harvest your spiritual seed that you set out? 
Do you believe for stuff, put your faith out there, but never grab hold of it, so to speak? And the last thing it would be foolish for a farmer to do, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight mostly, is not to trust the seed. To put it out and just say, well, not really expect anything. You, like I said, dig it back up or, or worry and bite your fingernails. Is the seed going to do what it's supposed to do? The message title tonight is Trusting the Seed. God said in Genesis 8.22, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Now, a couple hours ago it was daytime. How many recognize this nighttime right now? A couple months ago, it was warm. Now it's cold. It was summer. Now it's winter. Are those things remaining? As long as the earth remains, then there will be seed, time, and harvest. And I break it up like Pastor Paul taught me to. It's not just seed time. Because it makes more sense if you put a comma between the seed and the time. Because you know, when you plant a seed, it doesn't sprout up immediately. Takes time. So you plant a seed and you patiently endure while it does its little wiggling through the surface and grows up into a full maturity, and then it's the harvest time. Seed time and then harvest. And we're in this series that we've been in for several weeks, and uh, it's called Rooted. So we're kind of getting, we're going way back now. Because what, you know, seeds come before you can get rooted. So we're going back before. We've been talking about how to put our roots down and into solid ground of God's Word on the basics and everything. But we're talking about now something that even came before you can get rooted. You have to have the seed to begin to help grow the roots. So we're going way back. And you know, a seed always starts underground. It always starts where you can't see what's going on. And isn't that just like God? Everything that He does... It's from the inside out. The world wants to see, you know, they judge you by your appearance. They see what you're doing on the outside. They see how tall you are, how good looking you are. But God says, I don't judge by human standards. I look at the heart. And so what happens in the heart starts with seeds. And that's what we're going to talk about. Because the soil that God is concerned with is not so much you're 40 acres out in Bahia or whatever. He's worried about the three or four square inches in the middle of your rib cage. Not even so much that, but the heart of who you are. What's going on on the inside? What kind of seeds are being planted? He says in Proverbs 4.23, to guard your heart above all else. To guard your heart above all else. You might have diamonds and rubies at your house, and you have them in a big old metal safe. But you better guard your heart more than you guard that. How many of us even think about guarding our heart much? We think about our, our natural treasures. But your biggest treasure God has put on the inside of you. The kingdom of God is within you. Are you guarding your heart? For it determines the course of your life. That means which way you going to go? When it's all said and done, did you, did you attain your destination? 
We need to protect the soil of our heart because in the, in the parable of the sower in Mark chapter 4, there's some that landed on stony ground. He was talking about the sower sows the seed, you remember? And he's talking about the word. The sower sows the word of God. And what kind of heart is it landing on? Because some of them had stony ground. And the devil come immediately to steal the word. Some of it landed on the thistles and the thorns. Some of it landed in the shallow ground. You know, and then only 25% landed in what? The good soil where it produced a harvest. Now, so it takes not only the seed, but it takes some good soil. Now, you can grow some crops out of a bad soil, but you know, if you want 30, 60, 100-fold type of harvest that God intends for His children to live in, you need to have good soil. You don't need some lop-eared corn growing up sideways and thin and, to, you know, gnaw on it for a week and not get anything off of it. Jeremiah 4.3 says, This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. This is what He says to His children. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. Do not waste good seed among thorns. You remember the thorny ground was the ones that got all bogged down with the cares of this life. Was more concerned about whew, the PTA meeting, this, 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 and all the things, and, and the worries about uh, what tomorrow holds, and the bills, and all that stuff. And it can cause you to get a hard heart. You can watch the news for just 20, 30 seconds, and then all of a sudden you ain't the same person you was when you walked in the room. You just wanted to kill somebody. You want to choke them, right? And it creates in us a stony heart if we're not careful because we're putting bad seed in. Put good seed in. Plow up your heart. How do you do that? You soften it. You allow God to get in there and, and churn it up. And, and that's what you do when you, you, before you plant seeds. You know, you plow up the old stuff. Start with fresh dirt, with a fresh perspective. What are we allowing in the soil? I, I know I'm talking farmer stuff tonight, but the Bible talks a lot of farmer stuff. He, he makes it understandable. He takes the natural illustrations to, to make spiritual points. So what are we allowing in the soil? There's some kind of seeds. Everything is a seed, you understand. Every thought is a seed. Every song that you listen to, everything that you watch, Whatever comes through your eye and ear gates goes down and plants into the soil of your heart if you let it. If you let it. If you, if you open up to it and allow it in. You know, when God was creating the world in Genesis, in Genesis 1.12, it says, The earth brought forth grass and herbs yielding seed after his kind. And the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good. So every seed is going to produce a like product. You know, like my, that's why my children are so goofy. <laughs> Don't tell them I said that. I'm just kidding. But you know, your children are a lot like you starting off. And you try to make them better, than, give them an advantage, you know, but... <laughs> but you don't plant apple seeds and expect a, a pear tree. 
or a truckload full of watermelons. You know, every seed will produce after its own kind. So if the things that you're allowing in your eyes are getting into your heart, it's going to produce some kind of harvest. But is it the harvest that you want? you got to be intentional. Wasn't that our word for this year? Intentional about what you give access to your heart because we're supposed to guard our heart with all diligence because out of it flow the issues of life. You can't fill your heart with all the ungodliness this world offers and expect the bountiful blessings of God's righteousness. We want to be holy. We want to see God. We want to please God. But what are we watching in the meantime, you know? Is it worth it? Guard that heart. I mean, I'm speaking to myself and everybody else in here because we never in the history of mankind have as somebody can you imagine in the 1700s walking down the street and billboard lit up over here and a TV playing here and, and your phone your your butt's ringing, you know? I mean, it's hollering at us at every turn. If you, I'm not I don't need to be meddling. But, I, but, you know, I, I don't look at Facebook much anymore because it was just a time killer for me. And so if I don't respond to your stuff timely, I'm sorry. You know, I, I'll look at your, your photos of your Thanksgiving meal next year. But, but okay, but, but what I did do is when I messed up and put some friends on there that were posting nasty stuff or even questionable stuff, I unfollowed them. I don't want that. I don't want, because there's enough on there with the Christians you have to deal with. (laughs) Because you got to guard your heart. And I'm not telling you anything. I mean, you're the next level Wednesday bunch. You're the ones that are guarding your heart. So y'all go tell somebody else about this message. Of course, the seed that God wants us to plant and the one that's going to produce the best harvest every time that never fails is the Word of God. That's why it's so important. Well, I don't understand. The, I don't, you know, I don't get much when I read the Word. Well, first of all, your faith is working in the opposite direction by saying that. Second of all, you have the Spirit of God if you're born again, and, and the Spirit of God can discern spiritual things. And it can, and the Word of God should come alive to you. And if it's not, you're being duped by the devil. Say, devil, get off me. I'm not believing that. I believe when I read the Word of God, it's be- going to become rhema to me. It's going to leap off the page. It's going to bless me. I mean, even in the book of Revelations, I was reading the other day, it says, blessed is anyone who reads the words of this prophecy. I mean, you get a special blessing for reading certain chapters. So, well, that's just for free. Turn to Isaiah 55. A lot of scripture tonight, I know I ain't told no, no stories or anything, but you know, to God, the Lord didn't give me a, a story, so I'm not just going to make one up tonight. <laughs> I don't have to make any of about you, mama. they all true. Isaiah 55, 10. He says the rain and the snow came down from the heavens and they stay on the ground to water the earth. 
That's another one of those things that just happens automatically. God blesses us with the rain. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. God gives seed to the sower. He sent Jesus, the bread of life, to come down here and fulfill us all. I mean, he's, he's about giving us what we need. He's not going to be slack on meeting our needs if we'll put our trust in him. He sends seed for the farmer, seed to the sower. Who's going to sow that seed? And bread for the eater. It is the same with my word, he says. I send it out. And it always produces fruit. How many times is always? All the time. It will, not may, it will accomplish all I want it to. And it will prosper everywhere I sent it. Are you prospering? Are you accomplishing all you want to? I'm telling you. The Word of God is the seed that you need to be planting in your heart because it's going to spring up into the eternal life that you want here and now and in the life to come. This Word is not just a, a fairy tale. This is life. It's able to divide a son. It's a two-edged sword. It cuts away the bad and, and slices through the the, the wrong divides the soul and, the, and spirit tells you what's true and what's not. It'll get down in there and accomplish all God sent it to do and it'll prosper everywhere he sent it. Turn to Proverbs 4.20. Now we already read Proverbs 4.23. But now we're going to go to Proverbs 4.20 and back up just a little bit and le read it in light of some other things. says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Don't lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. See, in that field, a seeds penetrate. What do seeds do? Penetrate down into the soil. Let them penetrate deep into your heart, for they bring life to those who find them. And healing to their whole body. Do you feel like you got a lot of life in you right now? Do you feel like the healing power of God is coursing through your veins? Guard your heart above all else, it goes on to say, for it determines the course of your life. All perverse talk, no, it says avoid all perverse talk and stay away from corrupt speech. In other words, don't talk like the world does. You know, don't say hallelujah, praise the Lord at church and then go out and cuss your neighbor's dog. Go home and beat your wife and pet your dog and or was that vice versa, pet your pet your wife and beat your dog? Yeah. You know, something like that. But anyway. Don't be double-minded. Don't let bitter water and sweet water come out of the same fountain. It ought not be, the Bible says. James says it ought not be. Stay away from corrupt speech. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. And we know in the New Testament what our eyes are supposed to be fixed on. Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. 
Verse 26 says, mark out a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Walk that straight and narrow. Walk that straight and narrow. Don't get off that path. Keep those words deep in your heart. You know, we're all born of a natural seed. Everybody in here got a daddy. Right? You're born of a natural seed. But then we get a chance to be born again of a supernatural seed, of a spiritual seed. So it, it was a, a seed that got you here, and it's a seed that's going to get you across. Amen? And once you get born again, once you join the family of God, you become ambassadors for Christ, family members with Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, then uh, we become sowers of the Word. The same Word that saved our mortal souls and gave us eternal life, now we, we have those words of eternal life to share with others. And so we're born again with a purpose. Not born again to sit here and say, oh, in the sweet by and by. Come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're supposed to be busy about the Father's business. We're supposed to, like she prayed Tuesday night, we're supposed to have oil in our lamps. We're supposed to have our light trimmed, ready for service. Proverbs 11.25 says, the liberal soul shall be made fat. That means people who give a lot, who's not stingy, not holding on to, ah, it's just me, my four, and no more. The liberal soul who wants everybody to be blessed shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. So when you're a hose that God can pour his love, his grace, his mercy, his blessing, his financial success, all that's... Uh, just a channel going through you, you're getting watered in that hose too. There's no shortage of water. It's a shortage of people who will open up the faucet. Where was I? Okay, okay, okay. And he that watereth shall be watered also himself. He that withholdeth corn, or you could say seed, he that withholdeth corn, the people shall curse him, but blessed shall be upon the head of him that selleth it, that scattereth it. Blessed is the person who gives out and doesn't withhold. Proverbs 11.30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Do you know your, li your life is supposed to be a tree of life? Read that again. The fruit, and we say we want to produce, we're fruit producers, right? Jesus is what? After fruit in our lives. The fruit of the righteousness is a tree of life. People are supposed to come to you and pick the fruit off of your tree. There's supposed to be people that know that something's different about you. Man, he gave me the words of life. When I came to him, his counsel was solid. You know, he prayed for me and I got healed. Everything about you should be promoting life. 
You're supposed to be a tree that people can sit under in the shade. The fruit of the righteousness is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. You want a little bitty crown in heaven? Here, Jesus. I'm sorry, you see it? It's right there. Or you want a big crown? You want to you ride up front with Jesus when you come back on the white horse? Or you want to be back in the back with some binoculars? I think that's him up here. I wrote a song. What was it called? Something about the angels. Better move on aside and make, make room for me. Because I want to be sitting up front when I get to heaven. I don't, I don't want to just barely make it in as if by fire, you know. Whew, I just come out of a burning building. Ain't got, ain't got clothes on my back. Didn't get nobody saved. My whole family's gone to hell, but woohoo, I made it. <laughs> Woo, that's the way a lot of people think. Well, I'm going to get me a ticket to heaven and I'm going to live like the world. I don't know what Bible you're reading, but my Bible says we're going to be rewarded for the things we've done, whether good or bad, when we get to heaven. <laughs> I want to be looking forward to it. i got to get moving on. Okay. He who wins souls is wise. That's all there is to it. Now, the way you win souls, you start where you at. You tell them what you know. You just start thinking about people. My mama invited somebody tonight. That's a good way to start. They didn't come, but like uh, Donna said, you got to invite a million people to get one to come. But God's counting that million. You know, he invited somebody. She invited somebody. That's, you know, your good intentions count in that regard because you were working for the Lord. All right, so that's a reward that you're going to get. We plant, we water, we reap, but there's one thing that we don't do. It's what the seed does. Turn to 1 Corinthians 3, and we'll find out what that is. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Apostle Paul says, as a fellow Christian, you know, Apostle Paul is just a fellow brother in Christ. He says, I planted the seeds in your heart, talking to the Corinthian church. He left, and he left Apollos to pastor over the church, I guess. He said, and Apollos watered it. So I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who made it grow. You see, we're in partnership with God. We do our part, he does his part. It's not important who does the planting or watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters work together with the same purpose. And both will be rewarded for their own hard work. For we are both God's workers, and you are God's field, and you are God's building. You are a temple of the living God. You're part of the church. He has made you so important in the kingdom of God. And you are co-laborers with God, with Jesus, in reaping this end-time harvest, getting that seed out into the field. But ultimately, the pressure is not on us for the seed to work, is it? We scatter the seed. Some of it's going to go on stony ground out there, hard hearts. Some of it's going to go in shallow soil where the people can't think past their, you know, their next 
Facebook post. Some of it's going to go over and the people just wrought with cares. But some of it is going to get over in good soil. But it's not our job to make it grow. It's our job to sow. Not our job to make it grow. It's our job to sow. In that regard, I learned a lot of lessons from Brother Tom back there as I was in my initial stages of learning how to witness. I I witnessed for a couple of years as a baby Christian before I started witnessing with Tom. But when I started witnessing with Tom, I started seeing how a wise man does it. You you know, we used to go knocking on doors, and I'd knock on a door, and, and they wouldn't answer. And Brother Tom said, well, let's go to the next one. And I'd go, let me go knock again. I know they're there. You know, and I'm, <laughs> or I, we'd, they'd open the door and they'd say, I don't want none, and slam the doors, you know, or whatever, re- reject the message, no, I'm good, or I'm a Buddhist or whatever. And I'd leave there and I'd be just like, well, let's go back and tell them this, or let's leave a track in their door. And Brother Tom's like, dude, wipe the dust off your feet and let's go to the next one. They're not ready to receive. It isn't our job to force it in the ground. It's our job to sow the seed. And so, when they're rejecting us, they're not really rejecting us. They're rejecting God, right? And it's okay to leave people with the sting of that reality. What do I mean? There was this one fellow that I was witnessing to. And I was telling him, you know, about Jesus. Hey, I don't care about all that stuff. I'm not, I don't believe in all that stuff. I said, aren't you, don't you, aren't you concerned about what's going to happen when you die? He looked at me and he said, man, I'm going to be in the ground and the worm's going to eat my body just like they're going to eat your body. And boy, I could feel that righteous anger coming on. No, but I wanted to say something, but it was like, I just kind of ended the conversation. I felt like that was it. So I left it at that. And I left him with the sting of his own thoughts, his own decision. And I learned that from Tom. I say Brother Tom does that quite often, does it quite well. He'll let people time to percolate and to think on the ignorant things that they say. You know, that person called me back the next day. He said, I'm sorry that I said that about the worms eat me. He said, I, I, li- I heard myself say it, and I didn't even believe it when I said it, and I realized how stupid that sound. And you know, he came to faith in the Lord Jesus. But he may not have got there until he heard the sting, felt the sting of his own unbelief. And the reality that he thought he, he did, it was easy to think in his brain, but he had never heard himself say it. You know, I was in a hurry to lead everybody to Christ. Lead them through the sinner's prayer. That was what I, I was, my, I would go to Bill Street and I would, you know, my job was to get them through the sinner's prayer. And I would rush them to that point. It didn't matter if they really, half of them was probably saying, okay, dude, I'll say it, you know. And I don't know, how, you know, I imagine there are some people out there that might be thinking they're going to heaven because I let them to say, told them that they was going to heaven because they said this prayer when I was a young Christian. But that's a sure way to get false converts to do a high-pressure pitch or, or tell them, you know, all the benefits of heaven. Now, of course anybody wants all the benefits, but not tell them that there's any cost to you. You know, they, 
Salvation is a free gift, but the Christian life is not an easy thing. You know, so just telling all, you know, the just making all the benefits known, but not telling them the truth is sure a way to make a false convert. Brother Tom taught me not to rush the process. Allow for seed, time, and harvest. You see, everybody is at a different place in their life. Levi Lusco said people's gravitation to Jesus is usually more incremental than instantaneous. He says their gravitation towards Jesus is usually more incremental, a little bit at a time, than instantaneous. Very few people hear the gospel one time, oh, I got to have that. They're, they're thinking, I don't know if I believe that. It's got to have time to percolate. And everybody is at some stage. Some people may have heard the gospel nine times, and by the time you get there and tell them again, they're like, I've been waiting for somebody to come back and tell me what to do with this. And so you lead them through the Lord's Prayer. Some of them may have been, been hearing it for the first time and like, well, that sounds good going to heaven and all, but I don't know, I don't know. Well, just go and say this prayer. Come on, just go and say this prayer. It's not a magic prayer. You got to give seed time before you can reap the harvest. Remember, the leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of the wheat are formed, and finally, the grain ripens. Not saying that you don't get to that part. Not saying that you don't hope that that you can be the one who harvests, you know, and leads them through the sinner's prayer. But usually, it'll be because you entered in upon several other people's work that God has already been percolating in their life, and they're ready for that. So you, you can't take all the credit for that, probably, more than likely. Are we trusting the seed? Are we rushing the deed? Brother Tom, boy, he's funny. He won't even count half the people that stand up to receive the Lord at the jail. <laughs> you know, he'll do an altar call, and nine people will stand up. And he'll ask them, are you going to heaven or hell after they say the sinner's prayer? And if they say hell, he don't count them just because they stood up and said the sinner's prayer. If that's the way their heart still feels, he, he figures they ain't ready yet. And he'll leave them with the sting of that so they can deal with that. It's not a bad thing. We're not trying to make false converts. We get no brownie points for carving notches on our belt. We want real, true disciples who have counted the cost to follow Jesus. In fact, I purposely make my altar calls hard sometimes when I feel like, you know, when I'm dealing with teenagers or something and they're just anxious to do whatever the preacher says. I will tell, I will count the cost for them. Uh, let's learn some quick lessons from Jesus. Angie sent me a, a video, this lady named Allie Gwynn teaching, and, and this is really what sparked the seeds message tonight. I want to give her credit for, for what I'm about to teach because she gave me the, the major points on Nicodemus. You remember Jesus uh, talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, the famous John 3.16. He told him how to get saved. And uh, So we're going to talk about Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus in John 3. We're going to talk about Jesus' interaction with the woman at the, the well in John chapter 4 real quick. Allie Gwynn, she gave me the points on, on Nicodemus. I probably could have figured them out myself, but she's what sparked this. I like to give credit where credit's due. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He's 
wealthy, he's powerful, he's influential, he wears the holy robes, you know, to show everybody that he is. <laughs> and so for him to come to Jesus, you remember he came to Jesus in the middle of the night. How many, everybody recognize the story of that Nicodemus was the Pharisee who came to Jesus in the middle of the night? Well, she said the first point that she learned from this story is that Jesus had earned the right to be heard. Because for a Pharisee to come talk to some unknown guy from out of town that doesn't even have the license or the badge, you know, who is this guy? He doesn't even have an official education, no pedigree. Here he is just walking into town. Jesus, something about Jesus' countenance, something about the miracles that he did, the, how he loved the people, how he stirred up the imagination and the purpose in people, the crowds that followed him and wanted to be around him led Nicodemus to say, I at least need to hear what this guy's got to say because these things ain't really operating in my life. You know, the Pharisees were like the religious crew of the time. And so the question that would arise from that naturally is, do people want to hear what you have to say? Are you living in such a way that they think, I don't know why, but I just think Anita is like, here's from God or something. Anita, I'm having this happen in my life. Can you just, what, would you, what do you think? Because you always seem to make the right choices. You know, last year when you was going through that, you was just held up and you still had joy. You know, what in your family, do your kids, yeah, dad, he always says hallelujah and praise the Lord at church, but you ought to hear him when he gets home, you know. Oh my goodness, it ain't the same. That's, that's terrible for our kids. You know? Is there something real about you? Something genuine? Something that draws people to you? Jesus had that. He had earned the right to be heard because of his reputation, because of his character and his integrity. Number two, Jesus was willing to be inconvenienced because Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. And if you read anything about Jesus' ministry, you know he was just non-stop, ministering to thousands of people, the rush of the people everywhere he went. And Nicodemus came in the middle of the night. I'm sure Jesus was sleepy. How many of you would open your doors in the middle of the night or answer a phone call from somebody who's always bugging you about something? Well, I don't really want to, but the love of God compels me. You make time for somebody. The love of God compels you. Number three, Jesus listened and he asked questions. Nicodemus uh, was asking questions, and Jesus was answering in a way that you could tell he was really listening to what the guy said. You know, some of us don't listen very well. I can be one. Now, in all fairness, you know, at the end of the service, when I got three people pulling on my shirt this way, and, and one kid showing me how to do a, this over here, and, you know, and then four people waiting in line to talk to me, I can't pay attention to everything all at once and all the cares of the service and everything on me. And so I apologize. So sometimes, you know, it's like I'm not a good listener. But, you know, when somebody's, uh-huh, looking at their phone, yeah, what? And then they ask you a question that had nothing to do with what you, what you were saying or something. Or, or they, uh, they look at you and you can, you can tell by their eyes. They're, they're waiting for you to finish so they can say what they want to say. Or, you know, they don't, they don't pay attention to you at all. But Jesus wasn't like that. It was obviously he was engaged with this man and he answered the questions and, he, and he, he wanted to tell him the words of eternal life. Made Nicodemus feel loved and important. And Jesus also pointed Nicodemus to the cross. 
He got to the point. Now, I'm not saying every conversation you have with somebody at your work, you've got to lead them to the cross. You've got to get... But at some point, are we even asking ourselves, how do I minister to this person, Lord? How can I open the door to be able to speak into their heart? How can I befriend them? Is there, is there a funnel that you're working towards for the ability to be able to speak into their life because you, you care about their eternal destiny? And so Jesus pointed him to the cross. He said, you know, just as Moses lifted up this bronze serpent in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So he pointed him to the cross. And we know that Nicodemus later on saw that, saw Jesus on that cross. So God, Jesus was planting seed. And fifthly, that's what she said, Jesus trusted the seed. And that's where I got tonight's message. He didn't rush Nicodemus to make a commitment. He didn't, he didn't even tell Nicodemus to come follow him like he had done others. He didn't rush Nicodemus. He knew he was not ready yet. But he was also confident that the words that he spoke to Nicodemus would bring him around. And we find out in John 7 that he, it did bring Nicodemus around. Later on, when all the Pharisees are getting together and they're piling on Jesus and figuring out ways that they can entrap him and everything else, Nicodemus, he, he didn't jump up and say, I'm a Jesus follower. He wasn't there yet. But he did say, uh, are, we, are we supposed to condemn somebody before we even hear their side? He did stand up in his own little way. That little sprout was coming through. That seed that had been planted, he was, he was wiggling around, just giving Jesus the benefit of the doubt. You see, he was beginning to work in him. And then by the time you get to John 19, Jesus has been lifted up like that bronze serpent on a pole. What does that mean, bronze serpent on a pole? Jesus was made sin for us who knew no sin. He was made the ugliest thing that could possibly be. And in the wilderness, when they lifted up that bronze serpent, all who had been bitten by the snake, all who had, been sin who had sinned were to look upon that cross, they were saved. And all who call upon the name of the Lord, all if, if I be lifted up, I shall draw all men to me. And so when Nicodemus saw that, I don't know when the point was where that, that thing came on out and that seed germinated and came to fruition and fruit began to bear in his life, but he made the decision. He don't care what anybody says. He went and bought 75 pounds of aloe and anointments to put on Jesus' body for burial. Him and Joseph of Arimathea said, we don't care what anybody says anymore. We're going with Jesus. They went and got his body down and put him in a tomb. So that's the progression. Took him what? Three to nine, uh, was it 19? What is that? That's like 14 or something, isn't it? Just kidding, 16. Took him 16 chapters to get there, so to speak, in the Bibles. But he got there because that seed was working. Now, let's talk about John 4 and we'll close. Or maybe we're just going to need to step, skip the woman at the well. Mm. I hate to keep y'all past time. Well, John Ford, Jesus meets the woman at the well, you know. And he just, what do I get out of that story? He breaks all the political correctness of the day. You know, we're so stuck in political correctness these days, we, we can't even... Mentioned, the, we can't even say in Jesus' name at the end of our prayers, or we feel like we can't. 
you little weenies. But I mean, if, if the world had its way, they would cower us down. And political correctness of his day says Jews are not supposed to speak with Samaritans because there was racial, racial, there was racial, and then there was a racial war. <laughs> and, and a man talking to a woman in broad daylight out on the streets, that wasn't allowed either. But here Jesus is doing both of them. And in fact, he was so brazen that it caught the woman off guard and she got a little feisty. She got a little attitude. What are you doing talking to me, you know? And for some of us, if we were to try to witness to somebody and they got a little feisty, well, fine, I'm not witnessing to you. But what did Jesus do? He just laughed it off and got feisty right back with her. He did. She would say, well, what are you going to do? You know, and he'd say, well, what do you want? You know, why don't you give me some water, woman? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know it's okay to be real with people. It's okay when you're witnessing not to use King James English. <laughs> wherefore slew he him. And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil. With, you know, It's okay not to speak in King James. And I've seen Christians, and I see them a lot, who can be just the naturalest, normalest people that you've ever seen in your life, people you want to play golf with and hang out, but then you begin to talk about Jesus, they flip on this Christian switch, and they turn into some maniac. And I was like, what the world just happened? They've got this philosophy, and they go into this mode of Christi, super Christian or something, and it turns people off. Why can't we just talk to them in a language we can all agree on, you know? <laughs> Why can't we be real? Jesus just got feisty back. Well... For example, the woman was at the well, so what did Jesus do? He said, oh, well, since we're here, sitting here by the water, let me tell you about some water that makes you never be thirsty again. Use it as a segue. I mean, he just used what was around him. When he was talking to farmers, he'd talk seeds. Jesus was just natural. He was just using what was there. And he used the Holy Spirit, too, because he was able to tell the woman that she'd been married five times before, and that was just a word of knowledge. That was a word of knowledge, a gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's another thing we ain't even getting into tonight much. But you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can be operating in these supernatural gifts. So that's what's going to give you that something special that's going to convince them that you're from God. And then, talking about her husbands, it shows he wasn't afraid to talk about sin. You know, most sinners know that they sin. You're not surprising them when you let them know that, you know, that's what the whole Old Testament and the law was all about. <laughs> Pointing them towards the need of a Savior. And that's an effective tool when you're ministering to somebody. Dude, you know, uh, God isn't approving of adultery. God isn't approving of fornication. God isn't approving of these things. What you going to do when you stand before a holy God? You know? I stand up there and say, you're going to hell, but look, dude, I care about you. I don't want you to go to hell. But I'm going to tell you what the Word says. And so Jesus confronted sin. And of course, when he did, first thing she starts doing is talking religion. Oh, she recognized that this is a man of God, 
And I, I can't tell you how many people that we've seen knock on the door and you tell them you're from a church or you're there to pray for them. And they'll, oh, you're from the church? Uh, y'all Pentecostal or y'all Baptist Costal or y'all this or y'all first church of the last chance or where are y'all from? Do y'all believe in the Holy Ghost? Do y'all put them all the way under? Y'all just sprinkle. They just want to talk religious stuff. And if you let that go on, you'll be scratching your head and you'll leave there and say, what in the world just happened? I got people that every time you talk, you, you say, I love Jesus. And they'll say, well, well, y'all got pews in your church or y'all sitting in regular chairs? I'm like, what's that got to do with loving Jesus? It's like really crazy. But it's a religious spirit, you know. But Le Jesus leads her right back to her real need. Her real need for a Savior. In fact, he shares with this unknown woman, this Samaritan woman, more about true worship and how to, to touch God's heart than we find anywhere else in the Bible, I believe. If you don't believe me, read John chapter 4 and what he tells her about worship. It's the, the most intense passages on how to please God in, in, anywhere in the Bible. And before he leaves, he tells her he, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And that's the end game. That's where we're trying to get. Jesus is the stone that you either stand on or he crushes you. He is the pivot point. And so we got to get them to a decision about Christ. That's what it's all about, ultimately. They have to make up their mind about Jesus. It must be at the core of what we share. John 4, 28 says, The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village to tell everyone about Jesus. I mean, she's, she's gung-ho. She done told the whole city. Some of us have been saved for 20 years. We ain't told our neighbor. She wasn't told the whole town. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. Little bitty crown. <laughs> but one who plants generously will get a generous crop. So what kind of harvest have you been getting in your life? Where are you at right now? You can ask yourself a couple of questions if you wanted to take it, if you would dare to get real. Are you experiencing the overflowing abundant life that you know God has for you because you're stepping into the things and you've been planting the seed in your heart and you're feeling the anointing every day you get up, you got the devil scared, you got him on the run, and even when you're getting knocked down, you're, you got the the swagger to get back up because you know God's on your side and everything's going great. Is, is that the kind of life you're living right now? If it is, it's because you've been planting good seed and, and that's what you're harvesting right now. Or would you say, nah, you know, I'm fearful. I'm scared. I feel, I feel like darkness is overcoming me. I feel trapped. I feel like in bondage and chains. I feel weak. I feel powerless. Darkness has got a grip on my life. The Bible says the eyes are the window of your soul. If, you're, if your eye be dark, then your whole body is darkness. But if your eyes be light, oh, your body is light. What is that? A gate. Same thing with your ears. That's the gate. That's what's allowing darkness or light into your life. Fellas, if you're thinking it's okay to look at pornography because it's on your phone, because everybody has access to it and they say the whole world does it, 
Where do you think your darkness is coming from? You say you love your wife, but she's like, no, you don't. That's a seed. That's a bad, bad seed. There's reasons why we're not successful in our life. Okay, so if things are going bad now, what you need to begin to do is put the Word of God in and change the seed that's hitting your heart so that the next time harvest time comes, you, you've cast your bread on the waters. And they are going before you. And by the time you get there, it's already done sprung up and you got food all along the journey. Isn't that what it says? Cast your bread on the water and you shall find it after many days? Isn't that what they used to do when they, when they were uh, pioneers or whatever? They would throw grain in the river and it would go downstream and, and the seed would be planted along the river for when they got down there later. It was already growing up. I never heard that either. I just made that up. <laughs> Sounds real good, though. We'll close. Galatians 5.22 tells us about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those all sound good to me in these turbulent times that we're living in. You begin to sow these things, you begin to grow these things. You say, I ain't got no friends. Have you been friendly? You say, my wife don't love me. Have you been loving her? So, what you want to get back. I'm going to close. I'm going to close. I'm just going to close. God planted one seed in Mary. And it sprung up into eternal life for as many as will call on His name. And now you have that seed. That same seed lives in you. That same, He's the Word of God. And that same Word can reside in you. You know what makes the difference. It never comes back void. It always accomplishes what He sent it to do. This will change your life. I don't care how many times you've told yourself, I can't read the Bible. I don't read anymore. I don't, uh, I don't like the King James but there's 50 other translations out there and you won't try none of them either. I don't know what your excuses are, but if you want to produce a harvest, you've got to plant the seed. And this is the seed that you need. listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.